If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Welcome to Real Crime Profile. I'm Jim Clementi, retired FBI profiler and former New York City prosecutor. We're back talking about People versus O.J. Simpson. And with me today is... Laura Richards, founder of Paladin National Stalking Advocacy Service and criminal behavioral analyst. And Lisa Zambetti, casting director for Criminal Minds, where Jim is my colleague... We've already covered episode one of People versus O.J. Simpson, and now at the end of that episode, uh, they discover the Bronco is missing. So A.C., who is O.J.'s best friend, um, who has a Bronco exactly like O.J.'s because he is... Besties, besties, that's what they do. Well, it's not just besties. I think he definitely is a wannabe O.J., Mm -hmm. and he was just copying... Uh, O.J. was able to be successful, A.C. was not, and uh, he just copied O.J. because he wanted to be O.J. Um, so the episode two starts off with what we referred to as at the time as the slow motion car chase, um, that it went on for hours and uh, was, as we said in episode one, this is, this is an anomaly, this has never happened before or since in law enforcement history. Uh, that they have allowed a fleeing fugitive the latitude and uh, time to actually drive up and down highways, get build up crowds of supporters on the side. This guy was suicidal, reportedly. He had a gun, a loaded gun to his head. That is a very extremely dangerous situation most of the time. In fact, almost, I can say, absolutely every other time that it's happened in our history that the police have not allowed a guy with a loaded gun to be driving up and down highways where populated by many thousands of people um, creating a risk for the general public. Had he not been a celebrity, had this not been in the wake of the Rodney King riots, I don't think this, well, I'm 
certain this would not have happened this way or not have ended this way. Well, ostensibly, he's dictating what happens next, isn't he? Which is just the incredulous part. How does he get to dictate everything as it unfolds rather than LAPD? This is a, a fugitive. This is someone fleeing. This is somebody who's wanted and didn't show up, didn't hand himself in with a weapon. Yeah. And yet he's allowed to make phone calls and he's allowed to dictate everything that happens next. Mm. And in the show, it shows the prosecution being absolutely incredulous and, and watching it along with everybody else. As they should be. Yeah. yeah, I mean, as they should be. And the fact is that you know, there are benefits to talking somebody like that down. I get that. But to let him drive wherever he wanted, they should have gotten him to a point. They should have flattened his tires. They should have immobilized that vehicle. They should have taken charge of that situation in a place where it couldn't have hurt other people. And they should have taken that fugitive down. He should have been arrested. He was a public protection risk, right? Not just the flight risk, but public protection risk. Absolutely. I mean, because, I mean, first of all, you shoot yourself in the head, that bullet can go through your head and kill somebody else. I mean, it's outrageous to to let a guy like that, who's known, who they know to be suicidal, drive around for hours. And then just to slap everybody in the face who's ever been involved in law enforcement, OJ said, well, I wanted to go visit Nicole's gravesite. Which I mean, it's is just, utter rubbish. It's Yeah, that's yeah, a so, nice way of saying bullshit. I mean, it's... But it's complete. trying to elicit the sympathy vote, isn't of it? Of course. I mean, everything that he does is about he, uh, himself and him being the victim. And yet again, he's using, you know, but I just wanted to go and see, see Nicole. And then he starts, I think I only caught a tiny clip, just him explaining that, saying, oh, there was a policeman at the grave and therefore he couldn't get to see the grave and all this other nonsense that just detracts and distracts. He couldn't get to see the grave because, oh, yeah, he's a fugitive. Oh, yeah, he had how many days to to go see the grave? What? what? That's just garbage. He went to the funeral. Yeah. It's just (laughs) ridiculous. It's utter nonsense. But people buy into this, you see. You know, this absolute diatribe and the fact, I think he makes a number of calls, doesn't he, from the Bronco as well. Yeah, the audacity of... Of he and and then later his defense team is just unspeakable in this. And why don't we talk about the letter, uh, letters he wrote? One of them, Shapiro, grandstanding the way he does, uh, had a press conference, and you were saying earlier. It was yeah. For me, that was a fascinating scene. I mean, we take it as as read that most of those things happen just in terms of you know his own ego and his own narcissism, that he actually betrays his client because he wants to reputation. You know, he's got a reputation to manage, and he puts that as the primary thing over and above his client. Right, and I think that if I'm not mistaken. He believed that O.J. was either about to kill himself or had killed himself so that he he wanted to be the first one on the news. Come he, out smelling it, of roses Sh- as well. Yeah, Shapiro was going to lose his, his, his meal ticket client to death, to suicide. So he decides, well, I'm going to take advantage of this situation and everybody's watching the news. So let me be the number one person. Let me be the guy that everybody's looking at. And he holds a press conference and has Kardashian read one of the notes that OJ had left. And to me, wasn't it's a confession to me. I mean, I don't Yeah, I mean, in it's been in any other Well, he way. says I had nothing to do with OJ, excuse me, I had nothing to do with Nicole's death. But he goes on to basically his behavior speaks volume to the contrary. If he had nothing to do with her death, normally innocent people expect exoneration through thorough investigation. 
That's what innocent people do. Guilty people expect that they will be prosecuted and punished by the justice system because they actually committed the crime. This is why somebody might be suicidal, depressed, and so forth. I mean, he if he actually cared about Nicole, that letter would have been filled with sorrow and 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 heartache about Nicole. But what was it filled with instead, Laura? All about him, me, oh. myself, and I, as we see with perpetrators time and time again. And in fact, the line that just made me seethe, because I do see it and hear it a lot, is at times I feel like a battered husband. He <laughs> claims the victim role. And perpetrators who are clever turn round the lens so that people see them as the victim. So the whole note and the, the, this whole circus was just about him. Absolutely. Nicole, again, just gets forgotten. And Ron. But, I mean, this. remember, and if you listen to our previous podcast about the crime scene, you know how brutal and graphic and horrific that crime scene was. These victims, Ron and Nicole, were brutalized. I mean, inhumanly brutalized. This guy, if he wasn't the killer, should have taken that into account when he wrote these letters. He should have mentioned that. He should have been pining over her, pained at the the suffering that she went through. Yeah, and his outrage at who killed her and how he would... Uh, what her uh, final moments would have looked like. Where was that? Yeah. So, that, so it's not just, as we say, when we're analysing things, it's not just what's present, it's also what's absent. Mm. You know, and what was absent for me, you know, as Jim just described, was, you know, my, my poor, uh, you know, love of my life, Nicole, and what her final moments must have been like, and whoever this is has to be brought to justice, um, along with the fact that he never once asked what happened to her. Um, I think is another really interesting indication. You know, no questions about oh, yeah. when, what happened to her when he was when he was arrested, or the investigation, or whether there are any suspects. He, it seems absolutely remiss, and so it's those absent things that are also significant. So when the cops called him when he was in Chicago, um, on the phone, I believe it was. I think they covered this in episode one. They said to him, "There's a trail of blood from." Uh, Bundy to your house basically in Rockingham and he said he said oh man god you know those were his statements back like not what are you talking about what did was somebody what hurt happened? at my house what happened tell me about what happened you know none of that not not a single thing why because because this it's this is the kind of thing that we again if you don't hear that if you don't, if if that happened to somebody in my family, I have a thousand questions I'm going to ask. If the, if I don't know the details, but if I know the details, I'm not going to want to bring them up. Yeah, I'm also, not going to want to talk about there's them. There's no question about his children. Like, are my children safe? Did were they hurt? I, I mean, there's a million things that it's you almost would like ask. he knows. But exactly. he didn't have to worry about that because he knew there was exactly. no killer on the who, loose. On the loose, you know, who might randomly kill them. He knew exactly who he wanted to kill, and he knew exactly what he wanted to do that night, and he did it. But she was there with the children that night, and he would have known that, so why no questions? Are my children safe? Who's got the children? Yeah, just, yeah. You know, the, the absolute details that you would ask, and, you know, any of our listeners, you think back to any crisis you have been through and the amount of questions that you have trying to understand and process what's gone on when something terrible has happened. But we see uh, none of that with OJ's behaviour. Yeah. 
But, you know, the if you look at actually the details, I mean, I called the, you know, I think this is, entire episode was about the Bronco chase. Uh, and, and it was an event in history. Uh, it became an event in history because of the co- coverage, you know, the, the universal coverage of, of this thing. But one of the things they depicted in this, um, which was that the Bronco had gotten stopped in traffic and that the police sort of pulled up behind and pulled their guns and tried to get him out of the car. But uh, AC told him, no, he's got a, a gun to his head. And that the cops basically said, well, I'm not going to shoot it, OJ. I'm not going to shoot it. And they let him go. I mean, that's that was absurdly ridiculous. First of all, that didn't happen. And secondly, if that situation had occurred, exactly what I had said earlier should have happened. They should have just put a strip down so that it, when he drove over it, both all four of his wheels would have gotten blown out. They should have isolated the car. They should have gotten everybody else away, and they should have taken them down. I don't know why AC was not fully prosecuted. I think that was a major mistake, but we'll talk about that later. Mm-hmm. The fact is that he helped. There's no question that he helped OJ escape from justice. That is help aiding a fugitive. That is a crime. And Gil Garcetti had made a made a statement that, hey, if anybody's out there aiding and betting him, we will prosecute you. But then what do they do? Decide not to prosecute him. It's just, to me, it's one of a number of judgment calls that really helped tank this case. And the other interesting thing is, if we just go back to the scene at, at the Kardashian house uh, of OJ writing his will, etc., and this whole play out of him uh, threatening to commit suicide, why not just do it? I mean, you know, we see a lot of cases where there's domestic violence and when there's been a, a homicide um, and attempted suicide, you know, when someone has suicidal ideation. Um, but there are a lot of perpetrators who have a half-hearted attempt on their life and those who threaten it, and it's normally used as a manipulator. And this is exactly what OJ's doing throughout this whole scenario. It's a manipulator to control, try and control the things that he can to put the frighteners on people and certainly the fact when he goes into Kim Kardashian's bedroom you know again it just shows this absolute selfish narcissistic individual all he's thinking about is me myself and I no no thought for anybody else around him or for children um, you know and for what that must be like for anybody else so we see complete uh, egocentric behavior and narcissism which is just off the scale and I think that the answer to your question is why didn't he just do it? And I think he's way too narcissistic to kill himself, to to hurt his pretty face, to hurt his image. Uh, I think the reason why he was suicidal was because his image had been destroyed. He needed people to look up to him. He to needed the adulation. Him. Adoration. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. But what some people don't know, and I don't really know how they rep- depicted it, whether they were implying it or not, but... Basically, he was in that room because he went in there to have sex with his girlfriend. I don't know if it was Paula or if it was another girlfriend, but he was in there supposedly having sex with her. That's why the lawyers weren't weren't bothering him for a little while. And then when the time came, they knock on the door and he's gone. That's because AC had taken him out in the in the uh, Bronco. So that was that's basically what was happening behind the scenes. Incredible, but, as you would do when your ex partner has just been the love found of your life. brutally yeah. murdered. The love of your life, yeah. right? But I, I want to take a, a moment here to talk about something else, Laura. And, 
you know, what kind of falls by the wayside, and it wasn't really a big issue back then, but I think it has become much more of an issue, is that OJ was a football player. And at a time when, through a period of time, when the protection, the headgear um, and, and equipment wasn't as protective as it is today. And one of the issues is frontal lobe damage because of concussions, repeated concussions through playing this, this sport. Um, and we've seen more, I mean, since OJ, we've seen a number of examples where football players have basically gone off the deep end and committed murder-suicide. And, um, and, and of course, domestic violence. Of course, lots of domestic violence and, and even just homicide as well. And part of that, I think, is, can be attributable now to, through science to frontal lobe damage. And, and basically, the frontal lobe of your brain is, is sort of the traffic cop of your brain. And when, that, when you get repeated damage to that, or severe damage to that, you can you can see people lose their sort of their impulse control, their impulse control, their their um, ability to not act when the actions are bad, you know. And so you see more violent and aggressive behavior from these kind of people. So it could be that that's one of the reasons why OJ was the way he was. In other words, he had gone through this history. I don't know if he used um, if he used steroids. I mean, back in the day, there were certainly much more. Um, available and and there weren't as many tests to find out if if athletes were using them. So that's one thing. Steroids make the their users aggressive. There's just no question about that and can make them violent. But that's encouraged in football, aggressiveness and violence of action. So I think in, to a certain extent, I'm not trying to make an excuse for no, it. I'm course, trying to help people understand why there are two O.J. Simpsons, why right. there is the charismatic and, and, you know, enigmatic guy who just is just sort of above it all and, and wonderful and, and just can be so friendly to everybody as long as they're giving him the due respect and adulation that he, that he wants. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code WONDERY to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
But we also have to put it in context that, I, you know, I, I do understand, you know, neuroscience has taken us on, you know, in, in, a, in a different way now, developing our knowledge, particularly on frontal lobe. And I, I certainly think there is a, a case for that. But violence and abuse is a choice, too. And I mm-hmm. think when we look back into OJ's past and we realise he's from the projects and that, you know, power and control and, and abuse was in his family, not in the coals. You know, the dynamics that he plays out, I think he displays throughout his life course, actually. Um, so before his, before, his football career, yes, you think? If, if we believe the accounts. And, you know, I, I think there are lots of things about somebody who uh, becomes very entitled and narcissistic. And I think it's a number of things not just one thing. No, I know. I'm because just domestic violence uh, abusers, you know, the perpetrators, not all of them play football. So OJ did happen to play throughout high school, throughout college, and then his professional career. That's a lot of banging around. And, and I, I believe that the, the equipment and the helmets that they had at the time were not, I mean, they were, they were very flimsy. They had very little padding. They weren't engineered the way the ones that we have today are. But Still, it's not an excuse for him, but I'm just contribute. trying to... Yes, yeah. it could be a contributing factor. But I think, you know, looking back through uh, his, his history, there were power and control and abuse issues within his family too. So growing up with that dynamic is something that, you know, we know when someone's socialised and what they have around them... His you expectations know, were the same. Exactly. This is somebody who, yes, he's worked hard. Yes, he's, you know, had a, an amazing career, but that also gives him entitlement, like somebody else that we're going to talk about, Oscar Pistorius mm-hmm. in another podcast. But it could well be a contributing factor. But perhaps if he, you know, had one of the PET scans that uh, Dr. James. James Fallon has developed, then we could answer that question conclusively. Well, I, I just think it's it's an issue. I, I certainly... If I was on his defense team, that's I was, what I would have done. I was just going to say, it's Instead a good thing of, they didn't know about it. They would have used it. But this was in 94, it. wasn't it? So, right. I, mean, I mean, in his recent arrest, I think they would have used it if they were smart. But who knows? Who knows what's going to happen with, re- with respect to that? I'm sure he's going to continue to try to appeal uh, his long sentence of that conviction okay. uh, from his armed robbery uh, conviction. But um, so... I think that when you when you look at this episode and uh, yeah, the Bronco chase, uh, let's talk about the the sociological aspects of this. So now you have a guy who's a fugitive from justice. People have heard in the previous five days of the brutality of this killing. There's uh, I don't know if the nine one one tapes had been released um, at, yet at this point before the Bronco chase, but at the very least, people have heard. That that both Nicole Simpson, Nicole Brown Simpson, and Ron Goldman were brutally murdered, and this guy is now number one suspect. That he is now fleeing from justice, and that and people in droves came out and were cheering him on. People were putting signs up over the highways. They were stopping their cars on the highways, cheering him, leaning out of cars, all this kind of stuff just literally so overwhelmed with his celebrity that they did not even for a moment consider the fact that this guy is wanted and fleeing from justice for two extremely brutal murders. I mean, it just makes no sense at all. But it's the kind of thing we see all the time. So that tells us about the zeitgeist, doesn't it? It tells us about the zeitgeist. It also tells us about the media's role, you know, Mm. and those within it who are spin doctors who can lead, uh, you know, a nation 
by saying certain things or doing certain things so they don't get the true facts of what's gone on. And we've seen that many times. So here is OJ seen as kind of the the champion of the people, as it were, rather than the fugitive who may well have brutally murdered two people. Right, and I, like I remember uh, watching the videos now of of these events, and there's a, a young mother who who's probably 18, 19 years old with her little daughter who's probably two or three years old, and she ran out to the street to watch OJ come by and the the reporter said well you know did you know that he you know he had a gun and he was suicidal and yeah but i i you know grabbed my daughter and i came out here i wanted to be a part of it i wanted to see what was happening it's like a I mean, spectator sport watching him go exactly. by exactly but and and to put your daughter in that kind of danger i mean it's just it's outrageous behavior when you think about what was going on and under any other circumstances i believe the cops would have shut down isolated and taken down that that bronco period mm-hmm. But LAPD just couldn't run the risk at that time of being seen to be acting disproportionately. And I guess that's what they're weighing up the whole time, aren't they? Given what's gone on, the context of Zeitgeist, the popularity, you know, appeal that he has, they can't be seen to execute the, uh, I guess, the force that they would normally have done in a in a normal situation. Like the pendulum was swinging backwards. Yeah. Where, you yeah, know, so you they go too back much to... Now there. I remember seeing it in the riots, you know, that we had in London uh, not too long ago and therefore the police became very concerned about their how they would be perceived using, you know, potential uh, force or for, forceful tactics and how that would be conveyed and how it would be seen. So it can actually disarm and disempower and... Unfortunately, at a time when you need law law enforcement to be stepping up, you have a fugitive fleeing and, the, and a huge public protection risk. And it seems that they're doing everything to pander to his will, which is totally unconscionable and unacceptable. But it just takes us back to that zeitgeist, what was happening at the time, Rodney King, the riots, and you know serious concerns about LAPD's uh, decision-making. So the other thing that was ridiculous in this episode was the depiction of how the chase actually ended. Uh, He went from saying he wanted to see Nicole's grave, he wanted to be there with her, and then he also said he wanted to talk to his mother. And so I think they convinced him that his mother was at or coming to his house, so he had AC drive him back to his house. Um, They pulled, they got AC out of the car right away and pulled him away and then sort of talked OJ out. And when... They showed this. They depicted it in what I said, what I recall as a just an utterly ridiculous thing. Like they they let OJ walk into his house on his own and and go into another room and make a phone call on his own, as if they didn't actually immediately put handcuffs on him. And they absolutely did that. And if they didn't, they were idiots. But I'm certain that that's what they did. That they handcuffed him, took him into custody immediately. He did not go off and make phone calls. He did not wander around and look at photographs in his house and so forth. Um, that was just another sort of, you know, poetic license that the uh, the directors and writers took in this in this series. There was one other bit that, just to go back to, um, the, the circus uh, right at the start where we're listening to sort of the suicide, well, the, yeah, the suicide note, I guess we would call it, where OJ, when he ends a phone call with the police, he actually says, I deserve to get hurt. So so I agree, Lisa, I actually think there are parts in there where, you know, he's 
he's not confessing, but he's hinting to the fact that actually, you know, he's the person that deserves to get hurt because of the things that he has done. Um, but again, he claims the victim role, even with that statement, you know, he claims a victim role of the poor me routine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, and that is not the kind of thing somebody innocent would say. Um, you know, if some if he was completely innocent, why didn't he say, oh, I wish it happened to me instead of her? <laughs> you know, it couldn't have happened to him because he's the one that did it. So, but this is the seed of things to come, isn't it? Oh, yeah. You know, this is just the very start of the poor me, I'm the victim, look mm. at me and look what's befallen me. Right. And I have no response, you know, I accept no responsibility for uh, what's gone on. And that's what we see all across when Shapiro realises that he can make the case about race and LAPD rather than Nicole and Ron and whether this defendant, OJ Simpson, committed these brutal murders. They spin it on its head. Mm-hmm. And I think think that you'll see in in upcoming episodes when when Johnny Cochran it's depicted as him going in and t- giving a pep talk to OJ basically when that that basically in this series sort of is when the tide turns when OJ realizes hey I can actually sell this based on my personality on my history on my legacy, I can actually sell this whole thing that I'm the victim. I'm being victimized by the cops. I'm being victimized by the press. It's all about me. And that he he gets energized to do that. I mean, to me, it's disgusting. But one, I have a question to ask the public and the prosecutors at the time. Why the hell wasn't AC arrested? Why the hell was he let go when it's clear that he left the house with OJ. It's clear that he drove around, you know, with OJ heading south, at least at some point, um, that OJ had his had eighty seven hundred dollars in cash, his passport, a disguise and glue to glue that disguise on that. All those things indicate that he was running from justice. The guy who was actually driving the car was A.C., O.J. was hiding in the back. He wasn't sitting in the front seat. Why wasn't he sitting in the front seat? Because he was hiding. It's a it's a Bronco, all right? So Bronco has two front doors only. It doesn't have passenger doors behind the, the, the driver and the passenger side door. It's got only two doors. So you have to, like, lean the seat forward to get into the back. It actually takes some effort to get in the back. But he actually was in the back. O.J. was in the back seat. And most likely because he was hiding, because he was running from justice. So it's just, to me, AC should have been arrested at that time. The The mistake in judgment of not arresting him made this out to be less than what it was. This oh, is I not see. a fugitive yeah. from justice. Right. This is a distraught man who we need to save. We need to, you know, coddle him. We need this to... This poor man, this poor victim. It just really... It's disturbing because you can see right from the start in this case the breakdown of justice, the fact that he didn't get the kind of justice that any other defendant would have gotten had they not been, like, you know, a celebrity. I think there's also some other interesting points just in um, episode two where you you see sort of OJ being upset about his golf club friends not coming around to see him in prison uh, you know, it's an interesting little insight yet again to what his life was like um, and the fact that they thread through it, that he didn't do a whole bunch for the black community. Um, you know, he was seen as the mayor of Brentwood. And when Johnny Cochran 
um, is talking to him, you know, and talking about the potential strategy when OJ turns around and says, I'm not black, I'm OJ. This but something that occurred to me when I was watching it is that both OJ and Chris Darden and Marsha Clark, they're all from Oakland, you know, which is... Has a, has a reputation of being a very rough place to grow mm. up. And I, I was really taken by the scene where Darden is in the backyard um, at his folks' house and the neighborhood guys are talking about the case and how his dad is like... You're not going to get involved in that. Yeah, don't touch this. And, and for the really the first time, this is something that I think the series gets right, is you kind of see where he was at, you know, how he was caught in this. I thought I thought I thought it's it's just really interesting how it's opening my eyes to that particular person. So when we get to episode three, um, which is entitled The Dream Team, uh, I actually call it a Kardashian commercial <laughs> because I think, you know, they start out I mean they're they're ridiculously spending time with the Kardashian families who family who will later become infamous for sex tapes and, and trash TV. Um, and why that's important, I don't know. Um, but in, when you're talking about a murder investigation, mm-hmm. I don't think it has any place in this in this series. It, it's really kind of ridiculous. Um, but anyway, be that as it, as it may, we uh, this episode is when the dream team was formed, and Marsha Clark would later call them the scheme team, and I think that's an accurate Pretty depiction. Apt. Yeah. Um, basically, I think Shapiro, who who started as his main counsel, and then they, he basically convinced Robert Kardashian to come on board because he was close friends with OJ. Um, when they saw that Alan Dershowitz was making negative remarks about OJ and the case, they said the only way to stop him is to actually get him on the team. And I think that's another reason why they got F. Lee Bailey as well. They basically took the preeminent, most you know, prominent and loudmouth lawyers um, that uh, were around the country and, and brought them into the team. That was a legal strategy. And later, they would bring on Johnny Cochran as, um, as basically a racial strategy. Uh, they wanted somebody to sort of, um, for lack of a better term, blackify O.J. Simpson to tie him to the to the African American community in the United States, which he had very deliberately, I believe, separated himself from. He had worked his way out of the rough neighborhoods that he grew up in, and he did not have much to do with the African American community in the United States. Um, his friends were wealthy white people. Uh, he lived in a very, very upscale neighborhood of Brentwood, and he had you know mostly white friends and he dated white women uh and went to the golf club yeah hung out at the golf club with very few other african americans uh as members and he lived a life that was separate from the community that he grew up in well johnny cochran was a strategic way to get him back connected to that community uh johnny uh, in total opposition to how oj lived his life Johnny did actually embrace and was a huge part of the African-American community in Los Angeles. And and he lived that life. And so he basically used his influence to bring OJ to make it appear as though OJ was like that as well. And we'll talk a little bit more about specific incidents in the in the show. But and he was, was a voice of all injustice, wasn't he? Johnny Cochran stood up for people who were victimized 
Um, and, you know, he was a real advocate and voice of the people. Was so, that his background? I mean, was he known for that? He was. I, he mm. was. That was, uh, you know, he was a great leader um, in the in the community. Yes, he made his money through being a lawyer, but it was a very clever move um, to bring him in. And then, of course, you had all the egos and the narcissism play out right. amongst them all. But I mean, which, even but if you just stick with Johnny, I mean, Johnny definitely had a huge ego. Johnny definitely felt like, I mean, he used sort of the, the, the Baptist preacher methodology of reaching people and, and speaking in, in sort of rhymes and doing things that, you know, basically would sort of embrace the, the African-American community, I mean, in a way that, that was masterful. He was a great manipulator. Um, a great if, orator. I mean, you know. Absolutely. He, he... And yeah, there, I mean, I, you know, I think that he has, um, he had the ability to get people stirred up and to manipulate people. And he had a very shrewd sense of strategy. And he would use that to his advantage. And I think they're showing that extremely well in the in the series. Um, maybe going a little too far, maybe making him a little bit too much of a mustache twirling bad guy. But um, in fact, he everything about him was about winning, winning. And I think that's just the simplest thing, isn't it, Jim, where mm -hmm. we see that scene, um, you know, where he says, well, this isn't about being respectful. This is about winning. He did not give a damn about justice. He did not give a damn about the truth. He did not give a damn about the victims. He did not give a damn about who O.J. really was. What he gave a damn about was winning this trial at all costs. This is one of the disgusting things about some most, well, I can't say most, but many defense attorneys, that they do not feel constrained by the truth. They do not feel constrained by actual laws or the Constitution of the United States. They will get away with anything they possibly can. And this is going to develop more over this series. We're going to see more blatant examples of this as time goes on. But the fact is that in terms of putting together a team of defense attorneys, if any other human being on the planet tried to put together this team, they would have had to pay millions and millions and millions of dollars to do it. Why is it that somebody who's that rich can actually put together such a team when poor people should have exactly the same representation at a trial? You should not be able to have six or eight or ten attorneys fighting for you only because you're rich, when if you do have that many minds fighting for you, you can get off after blatantly committing double homicide. Now, in the episode, it says that Deathly Bailey worked pro bono. Do you think that's possible? That can't it's, be, really. No, it is possible. Uh, you know, I mean, these guys, a lot of these guys, I mean, Dershowitz, I'm sure, has taken many cases pro bono. I'm sure Shapiro has as well, and, and probably Johnny Cochran. But um, I think they... They took their pound of flesh from O.J. Um, there's a famous line where Shapiro says to um, uh, F. Lee Bailey, uh, you're going to be eating dinner, you're going to be dining out all, off of this case for the rest of your life. Um, in other words, it's going to make you so famous. Um, but F. Lee Bailey was already very famous before this case. I don't think he needed that at all. Um, I don't know what his, his uh, ultimate um, bill was like uh, mm -hmm. for this case, but... The fact that they got him off, I think they probably all got paid. 
So one of the other issues that was discussed during the course of this episode three, uh, the Dream Team, is that Gil Garcetti apparently made the decision that the trial would be tried in downtown L.A. And why is this important? What is the significance of this? Well, the jury downtown would be a cross-section of the people who live downtown. And there's a much higher concentration of African-American and minority people who live in the downtown jury pool area as opposed to Santa Monica. So this case happened in Brentwood, and naturally that case would then be tried in Santa Monica, which is a smaller jurisdiction. But what Marsha Clark explained later was that the actually any trial that was going to take more than two weeks was automatically tried downtown because of the uh, they didn't want to have a huge uh, draw on the resources of one of the smaller jurisdictions around L.A. so that they would automatically do any big trial like this downtown. It, she said it was a policy and so forth. Um, a lot of people faulted them for doing that because they thought, they said, that because you were pretty much guaranteed to get more African-American jurors on the jury, that that was a mistake to try it downtown. But it, it, as Marsha Clark explained at a later date, that would have been wrong for them to try to manipulate the jury to a white jury pool instead of a mixed jury pool. Uh, just that's not what justice is. Um, although I think that, you know, the fact is that in this case, it was very, it was going to be very difficult to uh, convict O.J. because he was a celebrity and because he was African-American because there was such strong emotions based on the Rodney King acquittal that I think that this actually may have been part of the payback for that from the African-American community. Can I tell you something about um, being a juror in that particular courthouse? Because I was a juror in that courthouse. You know, now maybe because of the OJ trial, they give you such strict instructions. They're saying you're in a very high-profile building. All the high-profile cases in this town are going on here. Do not talk to anybody. Do not, you know, they really make it clear that you have a huge responsibility when you're a juror in there. And I was noticing watching it that it looks like they filmed it in the real courthouse. I mean, I recognize mm. those halls and the, the right down to the drinking fountains and where the ladies room is, you know, mm. so I don't know. Chances that was just are, a yeah. little detail that I noticed when I was watching it. Yeah. So I think they also uh, discuss in this episode that they took the death penalty off the table and they depicted this as a sort of an argument between Gil Garcetti and Marsha Clark. But I know for a fact that the debt decision to make uh, the call of whether to charge somebody with a death penalty case is done by committee. It is not mm -hmm. done by one person or the district attorney alone or, or the lead counsel. It is done by a committee, and that committee votes one way or the other. Now, they use the arguments probably that floated back and forth in this committee, but the fact is that it would be very difficult to get a jury to sign on to the death penalty for O.J. Simpson because he was such a beloved figure in, in the entire country. So I think that that was a, was a decision. I think that's kind of a ridiculous 
measure, though. I think. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's sh- like saying that some people, you know, have higher worth or you know, than others, and therefore justice and you know the the punishment um, is specific to who you are, right. which is it, perverse. If you think about it, what should have been the measure should have been what was. What was done to the victims? Not what, what was the crime did. that you committed? Exactly. I mean, nobody else gets to to you know say, well, you know, he's a nice guy, so we're not going to punish him that way. So anyway, it's just it's just one more instance where a celebrity of this um, just just took it out of the normal course of business and made it a, an anomaly. This case for those who embrace the impossible. The Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. Featuring a reimagined exterior with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and an interior built with robust materials and integrity, the Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. Its durability has been tested to the extreme while the cargo capacity means more room for your gear. Ready for a wide range of adventures, the Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Do you ever feel like you're settling? For your foundation, that is. Maybelline's new Instant Age Rewind Eraser Foundation doesn't settle into fine lines and wrinkles. With SPF 20 and moisturizing pro-vitamin B5, This foundation not only provides medium coverage and a natural finish, but also protects and nourishes your skin. And the best part? The blurring sponge tip applicator makes application a breeze. Say goodbye to cakey, uneven foundation, and hello to a flawless, radiant complexion. Try our new foundation today and see the difference for yourself at Amazon.com slash Instant Eraser Foundation. I think we should... uh wrap up for now and so we have uh, a lot more to discuss i mean there's so do. many different aspects of the case and we're kind of following along by the episodes um, um and right now we've gotten to right now at the time of this recording we've all watched through episode six but and so we have four more coming down the pike to watch and discuss do you have anything to plug i think Jim? so uh, i don't believe i've mentioned my book without consent which is a, a novel i wrote that's closely based on my history um, as a former New York City prosecutor, um, and it's a series I hope to continue uh, based on um, my career as a prosecutor who became an FBI agent and eventually an FBI profiler. So uh, Tony Dante is the uh, the protagonist in so this. So you are Tony Dante. Well, where did you find that name? I'm curious. It's just I like it. It's Italian. <laughs> That's all. Dante's Inferno. Yeah, like there that. you go. Well, <laughs> Where he's can been people... through hell, let me tell you. <laughs> Where can people find that? It's published by Rothko Press, and it's on available on Amazon and uh, iBooks, I believe. And it's a great book. I read it all in one sitting, so it's really? definitely worth I getting hold of. I don't know Thanks. anything about you. Really? Yeah, I never read it. I didn't know, I didn't know anything about you. You're just flipping on these Am I an anomaly? <laughs> out at me. An enigma? You are. Uh, uh, someday I'll tell you guys uh, my first uh, impressions of Jim. Uh, wait a minute. <laughs> I think you have to say it now. Are you going to hold it over to the next I, podcast? I don't know. This is Should the, we? Yeah, Should we? why not? Okay, so 
I when know, was this? Okay, so Jim and I have worked for about three seasons on the show together. I've been there since season one. Right, so. but I haven't. I've only, yeah. I've only started in season nine. And I think in all the time we've worked together, maybe we said like three sentences to each maybe. other. <laughs> and mainly because Jim is very quiet, very buttoned down, serious guy. And, he, and he's just very... At work. Uh, at work, you know, my, which is only my, yeah. how I knew you. And very, you know, he, he's just, I don't know, he's just very, very intense looking. And I was always very intimidated to talk to really? you because I was afraid that you would start profiling me <laughs> and tell me I was a psychopath. I don't know. So it's very intimidating. And I'm I'm a shy person. It doesn't seem like it right now because I'm blabbering. But I'm very shy and awkward. So, um, yeah. So then when one day we were in a casting session and I kind of started asking you questions about a, another case and you lit up like a freaking Christmas tree and it was so cool and I was like wow this is a guy I want to do a podcast with I remember when you asked me some stuff I can't remember what case it was but um, it was on Anand Sayed and we were, we were talking it about was on so the it was before it, yes it was after you'd been on Bob's show, maybe, and I was talking to you. Uh, or, yeah, I don't know. I was. I, don't, I think so. And then, so we were talking about that. But that is a very interesting case. I mean, there's a lot of very, very hmm, interesting aspects yes. of the, that investigation, yes. uh, and behaviorally, it's a very rich case. So uh, it's something that Laura and I have both uh, looked into pretty mm-hmm. deeply, and we've been working with Bob and his ground sourced in investigation on that and actually we're, we're we owe him another interview i think um we were going to follow up uh, on the last interview we did together but the fact is that i do get excited about this yeah. stuff when people ask me serious questions about it because i think it's really important that people understand the actual behavior that's going on not somebody's opinion just based on how somebody looks and that's the thing that really struck me when i when i fir- i listened to the first episode by Sarah mm-hmm. um, and, She's on talking cereal. about cereal, Sarah Koenig, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and when she said, could somebody this charming and good-looking with beautiful eyes and so forth, could he actually be a killer? And, and I mean, it just struck me like, what? Are you, are you seriously asking that question? Of course he could be a killer, you know, mm-hmm. but that, his look should have nothing to do with it. Why are you even going down that road? And so that was the point at which I reached out to her and to the production to see if they wanted to talk to, not necessarily me, but, but an FBI profiler mm-hmm. who could answer those questions yeah. for them. But of course, I think they, they probably already had them all in the can by then, yeah. or most of them, and they didn't uh, respond back. Um, but I gave her the names of five other FBI profilers who I think would have been really good to talk to. I think yeah. she ended up talking to Jim Trainum. Yeah, that's right. She did. So, and I was going to do a recommendation. Actually, Laura and I came up with the same recommendation of the we same did. show, which is really funny. You want to say? Yeah, well, Lisa mentioned Happy Valley last time, and Happy Valley is a great show, and it's in season two back in the UK. But the other one that, for me, is a standout show and one of my absolute favourites is The Fall. That's and right. Lisa said exactly the same. So it's a plug Mine from too. both of us. Yeah, so season three um, of The Fall is being shot right now, and I've watched season one and two. They're very short seasons, like five episodes or six episodes per season. And if you only know Jamie Dornan from that silly movie, Fifty Shades of whatever this is a totally different performance uh, he is uh, amazing as a serial killer and then Gillian Anderson plays the the detective who's trying to play a cat and mouse and I track think him you down I just gave away No I the, didn't No 
Do I need to give it? That's not a spoiler. No, there's no spoiler. No, no. He's, he's a serial killer. Like you know that. You know from that the first from the episode? yes. You know that oh. from the jump that he's a serial killer, and you follow him. And, and he's follow. a stalker. So this yes. is where predatory stalking. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it really does unmask what predatory stalking is all about. Mm-hmm. So and breaks a lot of myths and stereotypes. Um, and it's very technically accurate and on point as well. So that's why it's one of my favourite shows. And as Lisa said, the acting is superb in it. And uh, big up to Gillian Anderson. That's right. And fantastic. if you want to know what Laura Richards is like in real person, real real life, how beautiful and how insanely brilliant she is, look at Gillian Anderson. It's just exactly... That character could absolutely be based on Laura. And I think what, what Laura just mentioned about the fact that it's very technically accurate, not only behaviorally, but also criminalistically and forensically, they really do show how things should be done properly, as well as sort of the, uh, I would say, the clinical detachment that we develop over time, but also how even though we have that clinical detachment, that there are things that really can bother us. And I think one of the great things about Gillian Anderson's character in that is that it shows sort of it gives women a right to act in a way that they're human and they mm-hmm. they don't have to be constrained by... Uh, she's not perfect. So, oh, but she also doesn't have to be constrained by what normalistic roles exactly. people typically see women in. And I think she does a great job of busting those roles. So that's called The Fall, and season one and two are available on Netflix. Season three is on the way. Let us know what you think. So till next time, this is Real Crime Profile. For advice or support, if you're experiencing stalking in the UK, you can contact Paladin National Stalking Advocacy Service on 0207 840 8960 or go on the website www.paladinservice.co.uk. If you're experiencing domestic violence, call the National Domestic Violence Helpline free phone 0800-2247. In the US, if you're experiencing domestic abuse and need advice, shelter, safety or counselling, call the Genesis 24-hour hotline 214-946-4357 or go on the website www.genesisshelter.org or you can call the National Domestic Violence Hotline on 800-799-7233. Real Crime Profile is produced and edited by Paul Francis Sullivan, engineered by Jacob Moose Molin. Music is composed and performed by Simba Sumba. Logo art by Rob Cohen. Real Crime Profile is produced and recorded at Empire Studios LA by XG Productions. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Real Crime Profile ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. The wait is over. So far, you're not losing. The only thing you're losing is my patience. Quickly, I see that. Bing! The queen of the courtroom is back. I didn't do anything. You wouldn't know the truth if it came up and slapped you in the face. I see he's not intimidated by anything. I can fix that. New cases. She wanted to fight me. Leave her alone.
Okay, so, um... Not, this is not a so. This is a period. Classic Judy. Did you sleep with her? Yes, Your Honor. You married his cousin. His brother. That's not him. Yes, ma'am. I would make a beeline for the door. The Emmy Award-winning series returns. How did I know that? I have crystal ball in my head. It's an all-new season. It's streaming. You can say anything. <laughs> Judy Justice. Only on Freebie.